So then, if you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Persistence of Vision podcast. Hello, folks. Hello. I am Lance Fever Myers. I am LB Dio, and we are here to inspire conversations talking about books so you have to read them. Speaking of books, don't you have a book that you wrote? I do have a book that I wrote. It's called The Goddamn Fool. Where can I get it? You can get it on Amazon or at Malvern Books. I mean, I already have one, but... Uh... Well, then get another one. Right. Okay. Damn your eyes. And what about you, sir? What about you? Have you not written a couple of books I there? I have written... I've written many books. I've written, written two many. books uh, that have come out on Persistence of Vision Publishing. Uh, you can get those at Amazon. Uh, one is called Why So Much. That's my first novel. It came out last June. And I have a book that just came out last weekend. My God. And, 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 and do we have a website? <laughs> POV-publishing.com. My newest book is a Christmas book. It's very topical. You have to get it now. Go now. So it can be delivered in time. Yes. And the topic is Christmas? That's right. Okay. And clones? And clones and uh, sharks. And clashing? And robots. Yes. Yes. Well, that sounds a little too scary for me. But it's a little us, madcap. Our audience at home <laughs> is not afraid of anything whatsoever. It's bizarre. It's crazy. I admire that about our audience. It's comical. Not unlike our guest today. Yes, our comical and admirable guest, Casey Beeler. Welcome Hi, Casey. to the show, Casey. Hey. Hi. Casey, what is there anything you do not and cannot do? Um that's a good question. What have the, I not the, the tried to do? No. no, no, I haven't. I haven't tried any like, you know, physicist stuff, well, science. <laughs> physicist <laughs> stuff. I'm sure you could do very easily. <laughs> I beg to differ. I think you, some of your plays deal with physicist kind of stuff, don't they? They are kind of like that. Science. Yeah, yeah they're sciencey. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so much for that. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about some of the, some of the things you do. Um, so I'm a painter mm -hmm. and a graphic designer and a playwright, um, a film actor, mm -hmm. commercials, um, also a stage actor, improviser, mm -hmm. um, See? writer of other things. There's not much. Entrepreneur. <laughs> Entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So um, we're here to talk what about I think all of it really yeah but uh, kind of but but together. the plays right the yeah. plays yeah. Is, is what you'd like to discuss yeah when when LB reached out to me months ago and was like do you have a specific book you'd like to talk about or something that you have made it's like well I've written these plays and I I right. haven't ever really talked about them in like a podcast mm -hmm. before happy yeah. to I've talked about I've done a lot about, of yes. like improv podcasts but okay. never yeah yeah. Yeah, this is not an improv podcast. It's not. <laughs> Never. We'll mention every, it again. Every word we say here has been carefully scripted. That's right. So speaking of improv, is that, I mean, that's where I first saw you was in your improv. Trip. Really? Yes. I didn't so know. Okay. I, I, so I, Parallelogramophonograph. I, I, right. Yes. Ding. So I think of that as like, you know, of course... It might not be, but I think of that as like some of the earlier stuff that you, that you did, right? Yeah. Or that's how you started yeah. out. Yeah. Is that absolutely, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I'd say that's like the root of everything pretty okay. much. Oh, great. Then I'm not wrong. Yeah. Okay. You're not wrong. Thank goodness. I can't imagine I'd be, <laughs> I would have written anything that uh -huh. I felt good about <laughs> if Had you I not... hadn't done, done that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do you think that prepared you to write like this? 
that you, the way you do? Because doing so, so my improv uh, quartet, Parallelogramophonograph, Pgraph for short, um, we've been performing in Austin for 14 years. And it's been 13 years of having a weekly show. Mm. And we do improvise like longer plays usually. So oh, okay. something that's now we do about an hour, 70 minutes, 80 minutes a week when we perform. And so that is, you know, when you're an improviser doing that kind of improv work, it's like you're the writer, the editor, the actor, right. the director, sure. all together, all at once in the moment. And so doing that for so many years and then other shows beyond PGRAPH. Um, kind of made me hone my chops as like a creator and a writer and a director, all of those things mm -hmm. without even realizing that's what I was doing. Mm. I don't want to go too far off topic, but one of my best friends is named Pete Graff. And it sounds <laughs> really, really does sound like Pete Graff. It does. We could, we could also be called Pete Graff. <laughs> yes. For sure. That's uh, our name in the world. So you, you began with improv and it branched out in all these directions. Yeah. Is that fair to I say? I mean, I guess I was like, I, when I was in middle school, I, you know, you have to pick your electives or whatever. And I chose art and theater. Art was something that I like had been interested in since I was like really, really tiny. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the thing that came very first. Right. Was visual art. We happen to, I, I don't know if I'm getting too personal here, but I, I believe we own a kimchi painting perhaps of yours or, or oh. kind of an egg dish. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. My wife and I. So, yes. yes. <laughs> Very proud to own that. That's great. You know, our friend Lance here is an artist also. Oh, pish posh. <laughs> Yes, his work. We're looking around <laughs> right here, around. and there's like so much right. art in this house, which is wonderful. Yes, it's not. It's not true of enough we homes. Should, we should clarify that it's not my house. We, my house. We have banished art altogether <laughs> for all time. Blank walls. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about uh, Killer Girls. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! So that was the most recent play. Mm. Well, non-murder mystery play mm. that I wrote. I don't know if I even mentioned that to you all, but. I've written several murder mysteries for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, commissions. They're like commissions. Commissions. Oh, commissions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's what I've written more recently. I'm like about to like design like my fourth murder mystery right now for like wow. a big like 400 person event at the Driscoll. It's private. It's a private event. Design it, you said. Yeah. So like I've been doing a lot of Oh, event, oh it's event not design. a, it's not a play per se it's more like an interactive thing. well i, I, mean, wrote, it is a play, I fully but... wrote out a play mm -hmm. this summer for for uh, a place called smithwick castle out in marble falls and in writing it and devising it with a group of actor improvisers i realized like if i do this again i don't actually need to write out the full script i can just write out the beats and let the improvisers improvise ah interesting, interesting. And we don't have to memorize all yeah. of that for a one-off event <laughs> so anyway out. so yeah the most recent but the most recent play like non-murder mystery play that I wrote was uh, Killer Girls. Tell us about Killer Girls. Um, I had the idea for it in 2017. Um, it came to me very strongly when I was at a nightclub dancing to a song. Mm. <laughs> Usually most of my play ideas come when I'm dancing to a song or listening to a song in my car. Interesting. They like kind of start to come to me in like a, a vision of like colors or like feelings. And then if they follow me around for more than a few weeks, then I start to like further look into that. And so for Killer Girls, I was just seeing like um, this like group of young women and I was seeing them like really cutely 
murdering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2017, I thought it was a pretty rough year. Mm-hmm. I don't know about y'all. Yeah, sure. It was really rough. <laughs> yeah, and, for me, it was uh, a piece of cake. <laughs> oh my God. I envy that if that's true. But like. I'm just kidding. I don't remember oh 2017. Yeah. Um, so that was after the election. And in the process, like while it was going from pre election, where it was like this really exciting energy, I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be a female president. I can't believe I'm going to get to see that. I'm super excited about it. Maybe she's not my favorite, but I'm still, I think it's a big step to like that feeling of like, how did the worst possible scenario happen? And then that kind of allowing, kind of opening the door to a lot of like toxic um, behavior. I remember people were like catcalling on the street more. My friends and I were experiencing more harassment. And then I was also in the process, we were um, writing our second American Berserk Theater production. It was called For Time and Eternity, and it was about Emma Hale Smith, the uh, wife of Joseph Smith, um, the beginning of the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. And so we had started making that show before the election, and I didn't really realize when we were making it that it would, and I played the lead, Emma, and she's basically like gaslit the entire time. She's like, <laughs> it's just a really, mm-hmm. it's a really hard a uh, role that she has in her life where she's like super in love with her religion and with her relationship with God. And then she meets a man who she thinks matches her love of, of sort of God. And then he goes on to take that love and like twist it mm-hmm. to his own aims. And he ends up like getting married to dozens of women behind her back and then forcing her to allow him to marry more women that live in her house with her by saying like, if you don't do this, like you don't really love God. So she's basically just like, then, you know, he dies tragically and she's like sort of left with this, this broken church and then kicked out of it and just sort of told kicked out, my gosh. you know, if you don't continue on, if you don't marry this other man, then you're done and sort of left behind and kind of just, so really a lot of, anyway, so we did that show and in the middle of doing that, it was so difficult. Um, like I remember the rest of the cast having a lot of fun and I remember I was not having fun doing that show. It was just too heavy. It was just really heavy. Yes. It was really, really heavy. Sure. And I wanted to, like, I was like, no, no, this is a great opportunity. And I just sort of hit a lot of that. And so in the process of that thing, I really, really, really wanted to do a show that was, you know, women getting to triumph over like because over and over again right after that i also directed an improvised tennessee williams play where the women in tennessee williams plays are often kind of um thrown around Mm -hmm. and mistreated so i went from that one production into another one where that was the case and i was like i understand that historically that is kind of the story for women is like look at them persevere as best they can through circumstances in which they can barely breathe but I wanted to write a story where women like do more than just persevere and they make getting, men stop breathing. They make men stop breathing <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. And yes. I was like, I wanted it to be really, really fun. So I called it a pop horror revenge play and there was like tons of pop music in it and dance, K-pop dancing and such. Yeah. So, um, so the, the story is, it involves the world of gaming as yeah, well it's as in the gaming world. Which, like, that one, I I looked around for a while to kind of try to decide. Like, I knew that I wanted the women to be, like, college age and part of some club. And then the world of gaming just felt very natural because there is so much sexism Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. in a world where it's like, in the most part, you're just playing a game. There's no reason for there to be gender mm-hmm. right, so strongly yes. involved. Sure. You know, yeah. like it should be an escapism right. or like a place where you can leave constructs of society behind a little bit, but instead they're at the forefront, like most things. And also I wanted to be a bit ridiculous. So we picked uh, Fruit Ninja, which is a really, really, I don't know if you know <laughs> right. that game, oh, but it's basically it's, sure. it's like slicing these fruit, yep. these fruits. Yeah. Are you a gamer? Mm, uh, not like a full on gamer. I feel like I know a lot of gamers and I've dabbled in gaming and okay. my current partner is like a gamer. Yeah. Mm. So, but I don't, I won't identify as a gamer. <laughs> I think I'm too making too many things maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to be, hard to, be to make gaming. things when you're gaming. Yeah. You uh, you wrote this before or after Gamergate? After. And can you tell us a little about Gamergate? Because I feel like I heard the, the word Gamergate a lot, and I don't know exactly what it was about. I mean, there's a lot of like parts to Gamergate, but basically um, Gamergate has to do with some women speaking out about the way they're being treated in the gaming world, and then a bunch of men using Reddit and Twitter to like dox them. So mm-hmm. doxing is when they like find out their personal information and put it all over the internet so people can send them like hate mail mm-hmm. to their home address. So, um, it's quite... and so basically, yeah, it was just a lot of women who were being just horribly harassed in online and in real life for just basically speaking up for themselves and saying they wanted space. Kind of speaking up against games too, saying like, the way women are portrayed in this game or the way women are treated in this game is unfair. And then, you know, a lot of men being like, how dare you say that about these things that we love? Right, yeah. yeah. So th- some of the things you're, you're mentioning here are very charged, politically speaking. So yeah. Like, and, and it seems like, you know, uh, they might be difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. When you're writing them, mm-hmm. and when you're try, you know trying yeah. to deal with that sort of thing, Do you, did you ever tackle any of this kind of thing in improv? And how would yeah. that be different? Like, if, it seems oh, like that would God. be really so, tough. I know. So usually with improv, it's it's hard to. I mean, definitely the kind of work I do, we do allow ourselves to do like some darker themes and more serious, and mm. it's kind of always balanced out with some lightness. But it is the reason why I started writing plays in part in addition to just doing improvised productions or shows is because I wanted to go deeper with things and it's hard to get the permission from an audience in the moment to go really deep with anything like political or dark. Right. Because yeah, yeah. because it's just, I don't know, there's something, there's some kind of greater allowance in a scripted work that audiences come in going, okay, you know, I'd probably feel a little scared to tackle anything in improv because I might, I'd I'd be, I wouldn't trust myself to say the right thing in the right way. That's true. You can't workshop it. Right. I mean, I guess you could in the moment. Sure. There's a show we do every year called Austin secrets where we use like mailed in secrets from people and submitted secrets Mm -hmm. to inspire scenes. And so in that show, we're able to go a bit deeper and more political because we have the secret which gives permission and the audience right. sees the secret. It's like up on a projector. That makes sense. And so, and then the secrets are also vetted in advance so that nothing weird, too weird sure. comes in, you know? <laughs> yes. So that's the one show where we found like, okay, there's like permission there, but most other contexts, it's like earning that permission. We don't want to, f- I don't ever want to force anything on an audience. Even as a playwright, I don't want to force them into like a terrible, too terrible of a thing. Right. Like there is a, there is a terrible moment in killer girls and there were like warnings about it in the lobby and such. And a couple of times people knew about it. So they would leave and mm. go out in the lobby during that part if it was too triggering for them. Mm-hmm. But it was a really essential part of the play to 
to make the audience root for the like murder spree. Yes. Like it had to be a terrible act. Mm, right. And that was something sure. I had like, you know, studied and workshopped and I had a group of actors and the, my process is for writing most of my plays is to devise the play. So I have the actors cast from pretty much early, early in the process. And then like, we'll go into the room, I'll have them improvise, I'll record them and then I'll take the recordings and I'll go away and then I'll use them to help with my like writing Smart. process. Yeah. And it's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. There are a lot of what I, I think of as kind of uh, everyday outrages depicted in the, in the killer girls where it sounded yeah. like they might've been based on real life incidents. I remember particularly, uh, I think a woman is at a gas station and she's mm -hmm. being advised by the, attendant that she should not wear makeup is that right oh yeah that she doesn't need to wear makeup he says because you know she's already she's already pretty enough and she says i don't wear it for you mm. or him because he implies like oh he must have a boyfriend like i don't need you to wear makeup almost he's saying yeah yeah you're so pretty yeah and she's like what do you mean you I don't, but, yeah i don't understand <laughs> Where did so you i wear enter this makeup this? for myself <laughs> yeah that was definitely from the um my friend margaret hunsicker who like loves make makeup and played that role that character summer mm. and so we had several um queer we had queer people women of color men of color in the cast and i like strongly you know, advise them to put their own, I guess like up <laughs> what they were upset about in their mm -hmm. life in the scenarios that, that we were improvising. And so a lot of that, the stuff early on in the play of just like the everyday, like fuck this of life. Like mm -hmm. that looks like, you know, the baseline once upon a time in every day, life is kind of shitty, right. you know, sometimes it's good. You have your friends, but mostly you're still like, they start out, you know, in hashtag yes, all men, Texas. Mm -hmm going to John Wilkes Booth University and it's not a great time, you know, and it just gets sure. worse. Yeah. It's a great, great time. Um, so yeah, so I had a lot, the, the cast, I was like, one, for one, the men in the cast did all the research on like the terrible men mm -hmm. of that world. So they are the ones who went into the Reddit threads mm, right. and found out about like the red pillars and the, like the different kind of like celibate, men yeah, and in cells yeah and all that which was great it was great to have a cast and kind of say like to the men like you know this is your like world you do that that emotional labor <laughs> yeah. and they were they were more than willing to to do it yeah. like they they were like glad to take that on they kind of knew when they were auditioning for the show like it was very clear from the f forefront like all the men who are cast were go are going to play shit bags are you comfortable with that? And they, you know, wanted well, to do it. It's interesting to think of it in terms of labor, right? Because it brings us back to a question about the political content in general, which is that, 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 that comes to my mind when I read something political, which is, mm -hmm. is this something where you were, you enjoy politics and like politics, or you feel like you mm -hmm. have no choice but to talk about politics oh, or yeah. a combination no, of No both. choice, absolutely. <clears throat> I used to completely ignore politics when I had the luxury to do mm -hmm. so. Right. That was something I remember greatly enjoying. <laughs> um, probably before 2008 or nine. Um, and then, of course, as, as things went forward, I actually became like, pretty politically active and led several protests mm -hmm. and like kind of more artistic kind of protests, uh, downtown on several occasions. Um, which is not, not something I wanted to do 
is not something I enjoyed. It was like, I'm one of those people that like, once I know something, I can't unknow it. Right. That's probably why I'm a vegetarian pescatarian now. Cause mm-hmm. like, it's like once I like learned a certain amount about things, it was like, Oh, I can't go back. And so with political things, I I just, it felt like I couldn't write a play in 2018 that didn't touch on that. Mm-hmm. It felt impossible. Right. Unless it was a commission or something, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, it, it seems like everything now, it, oh, even the like, even these like murder mysteries that I've written for Austin Steam Train, I still like sneak a lot of stuff in there that's yes. like very like queer friendly, mm-hmm. has like little comments on race that like can be swallowed easily because I just couldn't stand. Like I used to do, uh, some, uh, somebody else's murder mysteries on that, on this train, which is why I got kind of roped into writing them eventually. It's cause I knew how they worked and the other person did really, you know, fun murder mysteries, but there was like nothing more to them. Mm-hmm. And I just can't handle, even in all my improv, I can't handle a, a piece of theater or entertainment that doesn't like have some little grit right. to it. I don't like just completely light and fluffy murder, nonsense. Murder mysteries are such an interesting genre, aren't they? Because, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we tend to, they tend to be so light yeah. and so For, for what funny, happens in them. Right. And yeah. they're about murder. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I've often thought is interesting about them is that the murder uh, plot is... Uh, there, if you believe in this, uh, at the highest and lowest levels of art, right? I mean, you have like yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. the worst TV shows, and then you have Shakespeare, yeah, uh, and murder is absolutely at the center of so much of this. You know, there's just something about it. And then when you talk about introducing political and other themes, you know, of course, uh, the politics of of hatred and murder is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a it's a place to talk about politics in, in yeah. a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, high and low. Yeah. High brow, low brow. That's also how we say our theater company is. Yeah, yeah. High brow, low brow. Because we wanted to have the like full spectrum of going really intellectual if we wanted to mm-hmm. and also like the lowest like, you know, fart humor. What do you think of uh, when you think of the highest level or, or the intellectual in theater and, and in the arts? Um, I think that's when you allow yourself as like an artist to... I don't know, to kind of explore like what it means to be, to be human or to love someone or to care about somebody. I think it's like when you go really deep into those realms, I I suppose Mm -hmm. not being afraid. I think it's not being afraid to write to the top of your intelligence or improvise to the top of your intelligence. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, sometimes people stop themselves. They think people won't get this. If I express how I feel or like, like sort of deeper longings of the spirit, the audience isn't going to follow me there. And I think the truth is there will be people who that resonates with. And I found that to be very true for my, uh, the play that I wrote with Curtis Luciani subject to control Mm -hmm. was, uh, very highbrow, lowbrow. And there were things in there when we wrote it that I thought felt very personal to me. And then they, we kind of like made them a little bit more like, to fit the characters, but I was amazed at how many people saw the production who got something deeply personal mm-hmm. from that. From well, could you tell us show. a little bit about that? Cause that's a, that's a marvelous concept also. That one is, it, it's about two people. They're basically trapped in one room together. 
um, doing research to save a dying, like doing like weird research to save a dying world. Mm -hmm. So they believe that um, one of them has, there's like a belief in their world that one of them has some kind of like psychic ability to say, to like reorder matter. Mm -hmm. And so every day they go to work trying to use, to cultivate this power to maybe save what's left of a dying planet. And they're in isolation and there's been, they've been kind of cut off from their like basic human abilities to like, you know, love or desire. And they just go to work and they don't really know what they're doing, but they know that it's for the greater good in some way. Yes. And they're at their very best when they, when they think that they're doing good and they're at their very worst when they feel like it's all been completely meaningless to them. So it's also like this kind of comedic, you know, there's these two characters and, one is we wrote to be her. She's very much about like the body and the functions of the body. And one is written to be like the functions of the brain. Mm -hmm. So one is like totally about like hit the guy. So the, the male part, which Curtis played, um, he's all about like putting things in order, um, you know, stopping any like mischief that goes on for too long. Um, just kind of trying to crack down on, on anything that falls outside of like, how the day should go and all the rules you should follow and how you should listen to what other people say. And then she is about like wanting to, you know, if something feels good, just like keep feeling that feeling for as long as possible or, um, you know, wanting to crack things open and tear things off the wall and, you know, search for, for things. And he's like, no, no, that's supposed to stay there for a reason. So we wrote the play to kind of play with these dualities of body and brain. And also I wanted to play with like status. So like moments of shifting status where he's like seemingly the one in control, but then she's really the one in control and who's puppeting who and who's, and kind of play with that flow of control and yes. peace. So subject to control because they're also being controlled. And a lot of stuff came out of that and we were writing it that I never would have expected. That was not like, I just thought, Curtis, you and I need to be in a piece together. We should write it together. You're a super brilliant writer. I want to write more. Um, I had written one major play uh, before that, and I was ready to do something more intimate and like sticky mm. and something like a little messy. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted us as actors to be pushed. I didn't want it to be anything to be fake. So everything was like as real as possible. Like all the games in it were like games that we were actually playing on stage. Like they were tricky to do. Mm -hmm. There's like a color game written into the script, which is basically like a memory game of like naming colors and remembering them in a pattern in a sequence. And that's like actually just a game we made up. And, uh, and then there's like an ice bucket that comes out at one point that she puts her hands into for a longer amount of time. And that was just an actual bucket of ice wow. that we had. Cause I, I had been seeing theater and I just, I didn't like it when it felt like I hate it when people pretended to be out of breath. <laughs> I just wanted it to be real. <laughs> That's funny. And of course, then when we were doing it, like there was a time on stage, I almost passed out. It was like too much, you know, mm -hmm. from like the it, bucket or not from the bucket. It was like later the character makes the switch when she realizes that she actually does have some mind control powers. Uh -huh. And so she goes from like, Oh, there's a scene where she, did you watch it? She's like humping, 
everything mm. in the yes, room. Yes, yes. So there's a scene where she's like humping everything in the room and discovering her sexuality and doesn't know what it is. And then kind of like gets back over control over her bodily functions, realizes like she passes this power, <laughs> the, the sexuality onto him uh. mentally realizes she has, she actually does have some control over her life. And then she like ramps up really hardcore into like this aggressive, like I'm going to fucking do it. You know, yeah, like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tear things apart. This is the time to do the work. I know what this really is now. And that whole like sustaining that amount of energy for whatever 20 minutes or whatever it was. There was a few of our shows where I was like, I remember that thing, you know, when your eyes, do you know when your vision goes like black really quickly? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. And then spreads out again. Yeah. And like, there's all that yeah. crackly, sparkly light at the corner of your right. vision. Yeah. That happened a wow. couple times. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> like, you know, you think you're, uh, like superhuman or you can do like all the, the and then you, there's like a reckoning. So it sounds like you're, um, really focused on the writing lately. Is that true, or do, so you? You're a, you're a writer. You're a mm-hmm. performer. You're a yeah. painter. Yeah. What is it's the all focus? Of, right it's now? always all of them, kind of, and different facets. Um, because the performing stuff, I, I I feel like I keep getting pulled to always do that. So like every week I have a show, mm-hmm. and then even this past week I had like four Christmas like performance type gigs that I did, and and I also have an agent, so I'm always going on auditions. In the past several months, I've gone mm. on like more than ever, and um, I'm doing like a series of commercials in Houston. So I feel like everything I did in my like early twenties, like very persistently, has led to this thing now where like I can't, I kind of can't escape any. The writing thing is something I feel like is I have to put a little bit more to it, I guess. I could let that one go more easily. I get called upon more to like make commissions for people, mm. make websites and posters and things. And I kind of don't say no to most work that oh, comes to me. Visual? Visual. Visual art? Yeah. But with the writing, I guess that one is something I've been, I put more personal, like I'm going right. to want to do yeah. this. I want to keep doing it. I would never wanted to be a writer <laughs> ever. <laughs> so like, that was like one thing I was like, that's not me. I loved reading as a kid. Uh-huh. I did like read a whole lot. I was one of those like accelerated reader. Did you have that? Did you familiar with that program? No. I, was, I, I was, had it in your, I've always been a very slow reader. Oh, okay. <laughs> Deaccelerated. So they, there was a, it was a program called accelerated reader. Okay. And it didn't matter how fast you read, but maybe it was trying to make you read fast, <laughs> but you basically read, read uh it was like to try to promote reading in schools where books were assigned points based on how difficult they were mm. you read a book and you take a test and if you got the points you could like use them to get prizes and things Aha. and so as a kid that was very motivating to me and i was like always trying to and then i felt fell into like loving books and then kind of fell into hating books <laughs> in college because there was too many books <laughs> and then kind of came out of that and sort of tried to rediscover like what did i really want and i also also been super into fan fiction mm. since like oh, really? an early age yeah like about like 15 reading or writing or both 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 yeah but mostly reading so you write um prose too do you write prose too what do you mean? Me- like meaning like uh, like not plays, not plays. Um, I did, I did write, I did used to write s- short stories. Okay, but like, and I've wondered recently. I had some different people tell me like, have you ever thought about writing a novel or writing something like that? Right. And I was like, I have thought about it. 
if I had a strong idea, I would go toward it. But I think I think in theater mm. a lot. And so that's why it's hard. I feel like hard for me to, to, to like deviate from that. Okay. World. Then let me ask you this because I, I have this kind of weird relationship with my own artwork in that when I was studying painting, I felt like each of my paintings was a frustrated attempt to tell a story. Oh, <laughs> do you ever feel that struggle in, in your visual work? Um, no, I feel like it's its own separate practice that I need. Uh -huh. It's very, it's much more simplified. I think I put a lot of my like deep, I don't put a lot of deep feelings into the paintings that I make. They're, they're about like, a, they're like a meditation on like technique mm -hmm. and ability. Gotcha. Um, and like color mixing and just like sort of this like very exacting process of like trying to make a beautiful image. Mm. And, and all of the like frustrations that I feel in the world or like deeper thoughts that I have or funny things that I think I put that all on stage mm -hmm. in Smart. different ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting to think about the, the different types of creativity and the demands they put on you. Like, I feel like you can paint or do graphic design and you can still be listening to uh, a ra the radio, you can be listening yeah. to people talking, you can have a conversation. Yeah. And then there's things like writing where, at <laughs> yeah. least for me, you cannot. No. Can't, I mean, and the funny thing is I used to, I used to do computer programming and uh, even at some gaming companies. And uh, there were people there who would listen to headphones all day as they wrote code. And I was just like, I don't understand how you can do that. I guess if they got into like a flow state with it and the yeah. music just really that faded back it. super far. Yeah. Cause yeah, I agree. Yeah. When I'm painting, especially if I'm doing like a, a large like mural or set piece or whatever, sometimes it's nice to have a person there to talk to mm -hmm. while I'm working. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when I, whenever I write, that's definitely like, <laughs> like very, you know, yeah, like everybody get out of here. Get out of here. I need to, yeah. I need to get, a, I need to get into like a, a really nice flow with it. And I need to, to, to have time to be like thoughtful about it. But I also love in my process, like I love the devising part of it um, mm -hmm. with, the, with the actors where I just basically tell them, hey, I want this, you to, do, to improvise this scenario and here's where your character's coming from. This is where your character's coming from and just go. And then partway through being able to say like, oh, you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to be as aggressive as this character. You can be more gentle or telling, you know, basically letting them go and then later getting all this like these like juicy sentences from their brains and just getting to use that directly. Right. And they're always so happy when they feel like that's <laughs> sure. when it's them on the page. Like when they, they go back to read the script and they're like, gosh, I can totally see how I'll act this. And I get their them inside my head. That's something else I think improv helped a lot with is like I could once I have everybody's kind of voice in my head, I don't need them anymore. I almost am like, okay, I know how you are. I know how you talk. <laughs> and I, I've been directing improv shows for like 10, more, over 10 years and directed dozens of shows. And it's, it's kind of great to be in the position of like directing, writing, producing a play because when I'm directing an improv show, I'm like just hoping that I can convey to the actors how I would like them to be. But ultimately they do what they need to do or want to do. Whereas when I'm <laughs> writing them, if they say something I don't like it, when I'm <laughs> recording them, I don't even have to tell them. 
I just don't use it, right. Right. which is lovely. It's so great to be like listening to it and be like, I don't like any of that. That's not useful to me. Oh, there's the like gym. Sure. And usually when I'm writing and I get stuck, I can go back to the recordings and listen to them. And usually there's some like beautiful, like nugget of something. Yeah. And so I think talking to my other friends who write, I didn't, I don't really have as much writer's block when I'm writing a a piece because I have the, like that pool of resources to go back to if I need to. And then also I think because I never really wanted to be a writer or thought that I would be, I don't have that pressure of like, Oh my God, I need, Uh I, you know, like I need to like prove to my like early self that I can be great. That is an interesting (laughs) dynamic that I, I actually addressed a little bit in my novel about, um, the pressure of when you identify with mm. you identify yourself as a blank, blank as a writer, yeah. as a painter, or whatever. Yeah. The yeah. pressure that that brings with it can sometimes be so stifling. Oh yes, right. Yes, I think they, I think you you nailed it in that. Like when when you're someone like yourself who's multi talented, you do other things. It can it sort of relieves that pressure, yeah. right? A yeah, because yeah. you could be like, well. I feel good as a painter lately, but maybe not so great <laughs> sure, as a writer sure, or whatever. Yeah, or like, yeah. well, I haven't been writing as much lately, but I have been making a lot of paintings. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and sort of it, I think for a long time, I did not want to say that I was a painter. I think I was afraid to say anything hmm. before I made like enough money from those things, <laughs> you know, and that, that was probably more just like societally, like feeling like I couldn't people, you know, they ask you, what do you do? And it's like such a terrible <laughs> question. question. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember just hating it so much when I was like 22, 23. And now I've kind of come around on it and I freelance. So I freelance full time in like all those different Mm -hmm. avenues. And they've all paid off in their own way that I just never thought they would. I think you you had mentioned LB in in one podcast. I can't remember which one it was about uh, when we were younger, the fear of being a poser. Oh. Right. Yeah. I think, that, I think that gives gives birth to that sort of feeling of like I'm not going to call myself an artist. Well, they call it the imposter syndrome, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 But 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 are the skies darkening, or is that my imagination? <laughs> I think you're right. I think I hear some thunder. Do you hear rolling th- in the, the sound of thunder rolling oh in from God. the horizon? That's right. I think I it may it be too. time. I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> yes. It may be time for the lightning round. Lightning's coming. Here we go. Oh Are you ready, gosh. Casey? I'm ready. I think I am. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Here we go. Okay. So wait, wait. Am I supposed to just answer this really quickly? Like yes. Say the, just the thing, and then you'll move on to the next question. If possible, answer before you have a chance to think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. There's no buzzer here. Okay. But uh, no, do go with no, the no. flow. Here we go. Okay. Have fun. Okay. Uh, tell us about the first time you fell in love with a book. It was The Vampire Armand by Anne Rice, and I was 13 years old. Fantastic. I love that answer. Has a book ever changed your mind about anything? Um, it would be uh, Kayam Potok's The Chosen, ah. and it really changed my mind about sort of like how religions are structured and how they affect people, um, like, you know, from a more like deeper religious upbringing. Hmm. How long ago was this that you? Um, probably when I was, I read that book when I was 16. Okay. And it really had a profound effect yeah. on me. Well, here's the big brother to that question. Uh, has the book ever changed your life? Um, the, do you know the book, The Giver by Lois oh, Lowry? I have heard of The Giver. I've never read it. Um, that book is, I don't, I, I, it was one of those books that I, 
consistently thought back to after I read it and then had to go back and read it a couple different times growing up um, that there's a, an amazing part of that book that's just kind of sh showing you kind of make, changing your perspective on good and evil. And so I think just as, as early childhood, like hmm. reading that book when I was like, you know, nine or 10 and then again at like 15 and then again at like 20 and then looking at it again at like 26 or whatever, you know? Okay, sure. It, yeah. But, okay, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, has a book ever made you cry? Um, I think I cried a lot during the Harry Potter series. Great answer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is your favorite of those? Um... Oh God! Probably. Half Blood Prince. I was gonna say the fifth book. Isn't that the Half Blood Prince? No, that's uh, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. No, it probably Which was a Half Blood. I don't know. I never half -Blood used Prince to. Is six. You know, I never used to pick favorites with it, except for I knew like number one and number two were not my favorite. Right. But sure, anything sure. above that. Yep, but yeah. Yeah. Half Blood Prince was really good. Fantastic. But, yeah. Um, name a book that you have read more than once. It would just go back around to the first one and say the vampire Armand. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Right. When was the first time you read that then? I think I was 13 or you 14. Said yeah. She said yeah. Oh, it 13. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I, it was one of those books where I like bought the hardcover and like carried it around with me mm. for years. Nice. Like, like, I love that. <laughs> like a teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I love that. it. <laughs> okay. And here comes the big one. Are you ready? Oh my God. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm yeah, that uh, runs in a while. We're reminded that that is, in fact, a yes or no question. <laughs> That's some people are like, what? Some people proceed to <laughs> attempt to recite poetry. Sometimes they even successfully recite Sometimes poetry. it works. That's cool. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I'll, I have memorized a lot of things. I've performed a lot of memorized material, but I'm the kind of person who, like, once it's over, sure. I, like, throw it away from mm, my brain. Right. I'm just like, get away from me. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been really great. Thank yes, you for coming. Yeah, Where can our, uh, our audience find more of your work? CaseyBeeler.com. CaseyBeeler.com. And they'll find out not only about your visual stuff, but your uh, performance yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's all on there. It's like a bizarre website. It says, it says like, I'm an unstoppable creative. What would you like? <laughs> and then there's just like eight things you could choose from on different pages. That's great. That was one thing. Like after a while, I was like, well, I guess I shouldn't keep these things all separate. They're all me. So yes. I'll put them all in one place. And then AmericanBerserkTheater.com mm. for my theater company. Fantastic. And we Wonderful. have a new show coming up. We haven't put it on the website yet because we're doing pictures tomorrow, but called The Pitch. Um, which is going to be exciting. I'm just helping devise it. I'm not the writer on it. It's Curtis, my mm -hmm. creative partner's baby. It was his time. We kind of trade back and forth. Yes. But I'll write another one. Uh, 2020 is the goal for... For a next, big one. Next big play. Are you excited for the 20s? I am excited. I've had a real crazy, <laughs> like, 2018, 2019. Yeah. But, like, all I could feel the service of, like, making, you know, there was all that, good, you know, the good hard work. Yes. So that's how, so, yeah. Productive. Yeah. Yes. Hard. Anguish. Ang yeah, productive <laughs> anguish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely. Well, that's CaseyBeeler.com, K-A-C-I-B-E-E-L-E-R.com. Also go to pov-publishing.com where you can read essays, you can read poetry and comics by world-class artists, you can uh, check out the links to all our other podcasts, and you can follow links to buy my book, Why So Much, 
My other book, which is Clash of the Christmas Clones, and LB's book, The Goddamn Fool. Right? God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Thank you so much, Casey. What a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. Adios.